0: Welcome everybody to the Gary Wilson podcast. Glad you're with us here today. I'm especially excited about this. I've been looking forward for this episode for uh, several months now. Uh, started back when my son uh, started getting involved in Biola University and took a class from uh, Professor Fred Sanders uh, and was talking about the Trinity. And my son gave me a book called The Deep Things of God and uh, read it and it was uh, deeply moving, touching, profound, uh, spiritually impactful, and uh, brought a lot of new truths out. Uh, I, I, I didn't know at 62 you could still be learning new things, but uh, uh, I really realize you can learn more and more. So uh, Fred's a, a Ph.D. graduate of Theological Union. Uh, Union. Um, he's a professor of theology at uh, Biola University, uh, and contributed to a number of books. Uh, uh, I did notice one, Fred, online about uh, something about theology in California or something like that or that, yeah that sounds like a yeah point.
1: kind of little theology of culture project to um ask about what sort of uh theology indigenous to this region or state um uh, would be shaped like
0: yeah that I think that would be quite a quite an undertaking because California is a. Uh, I'm, I'm calling you from here from Colorado but uh you know California has quite a reputation <laughs> yeah
1: yeah, yeah yes. there's a broader movement of, of called the theology of place. You know, where you kind of focus on a place and then you do your do your theology self-consciously from that place. California is an interesting test case because who knows if it's really a place? <laughs> 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 so it's too large. It might be more of a concept or an accident or something. But
0: yeah. <laughs> well, then then the other books that you've contributed to, and then I'm just going to hold this one up real quickly: uh, the deep things of God. And uh, I want to just start by recommending. You read this book, It's um, if, if you're a pastor or a theologian, it's challenging. If you're a layperson, uh, somebody who loves to study the Word of God, It has um, it's, it's not too in-depth that it can't really touch your heart right where, you, where you're where you at. Even, even in some ways, there's some stuff even for new believers in there that can set you off on the right course. And you have uh, a wife, Susan, and two children. And uh, uh, Fred, thank you for coming on our podcast. I really appreciate you being here with us.
1: Glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Gary.
0: All right. Um, so a couple quotes from your book to start off with. Um, you, you quote, actually, Augustine saying, if you understand a being, it is not God. Uh, and, um, and then you quote uh, John Bunyan as well, saying, God is wiser than man, wherefore fear thou him and tremble at his word, saying still with godly suspicion of thine own infirmity, what I see not teach thou me, and thou art only God, wise God. But as for me, I was a beast before the, um, you know, when we, when we begin to speak about what we went to today, the topic of the Trinity, you know, I think that quote is pretty profound for us. Is like, you know, we feel like a beast. We feel like, uh, I think it was Calvin said, you know, we just stammer. The words we have to describe God is, is, is our, at our best is, is a stammering. Uh, but yet you seem to have given a lot of your career, your ministry, your heart, your passion to the Trinity. What, what is it about the Trinity that has so provoked your interest and in your heart?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, two, two things come to mind there. One is I quote things like Augustine and, and Bunyan there just to remind us that when we're talking about God and, and things that God has made known about himself, they're all mind blowing, right? This, this is all about um, this, our creator who is so far beyond us in so many ways and only by his condescension to come to us and make himself known um, do we understand things about him. And that's important to bear in mind with the Trinity because people often will get, um, they feel like it's some kind of trick. Like you say three persons and one God, and then I need you to explain for me exactly how that works and give me a model and several examples so that I will totally understand it. And um, you know, I don't wanna obfuscate or or be unclear, but I do wanna remind people, we're talking about God here. So um, the kind of clarity or comprehension you can expect to achieve is the same as we would expect to achieve with anything about the nature of God. So it's sort of a it's sort of lift up your hearts. Remember what we're talking about here. This is we're not just doing some math here. I'm not going to give you three examples of this. Um, yeah. 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 But then for me, the real key and why I've I have in fact this is my life message. This is why I've devoted my my teaching career and my ministry um, to teaching on the Trinity. Um, is I think there is a strong connection between the doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of salvation, that is, um, the triune God and the gospel really go together and are strongly associated with each other. Um, so it's, it's really that connection. I'm all all about um, making a, an associative connection between the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the gospel of our salvation. If, if I can help people grasp how those go together, um, then that's, that's what I'm trying to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think your book did that well. Uh, rather than trying to uh, d- describe, uh, you know, is God like a shamrock or something like that, um, a light bulb, you know, you're, you're speaking in more practical terms, you're speaking in very lofty terms, but also in very practical terms as how the gospel impacts our life on a daily basis. And I'd like to get back to that gospel in just a moment. But before we do, um, uh, it was personally uh, interesting to me that you used, you know, uh, here's my son who's in one of your classes, and he said, I got a great professor um, and so he gives me your book, and I'm thinking it's going to be pretty, you know, pretty high-minded and lofty. Uh, and then you started off by talking about Nikki Cruz, uh, who it was my father, David Wilkerson, who led Nicky Cruz to Christ. And so uh, I guess you know the story because you've probably read some of Nicky. Um, but I found that interesting that, that a professor and a theologian would use the story of an ex-gang member, a street kid, uh, to talk about the Trinity. Can you speak about why that impacted you, and what was Nikki's story that, that speaks to the Trinity so well?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up in a uh, four square church here in Southern California um, in the 70s. And so we had, you know, the paperbacks, um, uh, David Wilkerson and Nikki Cruz and the uh, the uh, Christian Spire Christian comics. um, (laughs) I grew up with those as a kid and these were just sort of part of the furniture.
0: Sorry to interrupt you there, but this is is an important uh, interruption here. If you had a comic book, uh, I'm, I'm actually in the comic book. There's a little baby there's a little baby that my mom is holding and my father's in New York city. So that, that's my claim to fame. I'm, I'm in a comic book. So I just want, I yeah. want to know that that's,
1: that's the comic book of uh, crossing cross the switchblade or run no. baby run.
0: No, they're, they're the yeah. Nice.
1: But anyway, nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So,
0: so you read all that. And uh, yeah. So you knew Nikki's story early on, huh?
1: Yeah. And um, I think I just, um, you know, by chance, browsing the shelves uh, in the Biola Library, ran into uh, Nikki's book, The Magnificent Three. So I already knew his story. Um, I knew the Wilkerson connection. I knew Run, Baby Run. I even saw the movie with Eric Estrada in it. <laughs> and, um, and I saw—I can't believe Nikki Cruz wrote a book about the Trinity. Right. And I'll admit, when I first pulled it down, I thought. Just from what little I know of him, he seems ill-equipped to write a book about the doctrine of God. I mean, this is difficult stuff, and that's not how he talks. That's that's not right. how he works as an evangelist. He's not mainly in in teacher mode, really, on any subject, right? Never, never mind the doctrine of God, which is very high doctrine. Um, so I admit, I was probably going to pull it down and sort of make fun of it at first, but I got a few pages into it and thought, I mean, this is not how I would say it at all, but this is good stuff. I mean, um, Nikki Cruz and his, I guess his ghost writer or his co-author um, shows up on the first page, I forget his name, um, really got right into it and in a practical way. And I thought, I could sort of start out chapter one of this book I'm writing by pointing to Nikki Cruz um, and saying, he, he gets it, right? He, he hasn't studied it theologically in great depth. He hasn't been tutored in all the details of the doctrine of the Trinity. Um, but he understands that when he, got, when he gave his life to Jesus and got saved, he got God as his father and the spirit living within him. And you just have to take one step back and realize that's, that's the whole package, right? He, he didn't like move on to another level of like, no, I'm upgrading my life to being a Trinitarian Christian. He knew that that very thing that happened to him, the first moment he believed as a, a gang member converted right off the streets um, was a Trinitarian reality taking hold of his life.
0: Mm, I, I appreciate it. I, I think See, I
1: blurbed that. I, I endorsed that book uh, by Nikki Cruz as the, you know, I have dozens and dozens of books about the Trinity here, but only one of them features a knife fight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's true. There's not too, many, not too many knife fights there on the staff at Biola, is there? No, no. and yeah, And you don't get, you don't get chapters about them in most
1: books on the Trinity. Actually, yeah. if I remember right, I think I think that fight goes down. Uh, Nikki Cruz snaps a metal antenna off of a car and beats somebody with it. <laughs>
0: it's a very unconventional Trinity book. Yeah, that's true. Well, uh, one of the things that you quote uh, Nikki saying in that book is uh, I, basically it was uh, why couldn't God just be God? And I think it's a good question for us to start with when we we're talking about the Trinity here. Um, why, why can't God just be one? Why, why did the? Is there a why to? a reason behind him being a Trinity? Uh, Could he just be one and that would be okay for us? Or does he have to be three?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. And I like the way Nikki sort of comes to it as this seemed really simple when I just gave my life to Jesus. Um, But now it seems like someone has made it complicated by adding, you know, this difficult doctrine of three persons in the, in the one being uh, of God. Um, And I actually think a lot of people, a lot of Christians get off track right there where they think, what I have in my relationship with God, as I read about it in scripture, is simple and easy to understand, and I totally get it. And then they can take this turn where they say, some man-made complicated doctrine, you know, was it medieval or was it ancient Greek or who invented this and made things hard for me? Um, Nikki doesn't take that turn. He he says he's far enough into the Bible by this time as a Christian believer. To say, actually, this is all over scripture. So when I say Jesus is God, um, I'm leaving out the part where he is the son of God, right? Jesus is both God and the son of God. He's God as the divine being, but he's the son of God as the person in an an eternal relationship with God the father. Um, So, you know, if you start reading the Bible left to right, Old Testament to New Testament, You obviously have the strong impression all through the Old Testament that the oneness of God matters deeply, right? It's fundamental. It goes all the way to the bottom. God is one. It turns out, as you finish reading the Bible and come to terms with who Jesus and the Holy Spirit are, that this one God who is absolutely one in terms of the divine essence or being um, eternally exists as three persons, as the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Um, so you end up having to modify uh, or elaborate your monotheistic commitment and say, I still totally believe in the one God, and that one God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons.
0: Right. If, if there wasn't three persons, if there was just one, let's just say there was the Father uh, or there's just the Son, that dynamically impacts the whole our whole faith, right? Um, and, uh, you know, with, but, but I'm just trying to dig a little deeper into that question of um, help us understand why does it God had to exist in three? You know, is, yeah. is there benefits to that for him, for yeah. us?
1: Yeah. Probably the easiest biblical way um, to get into this is through the gospel of John, John's theology of um, the, the sending of the son. If, if you just think about this idea of sending, it's, it's, it's really simple and straightforward, but the more you ponder it, the more you realize, Oh wait, there's something really deep there. Um, it's not just that God is with us, it's that God sends God to be with us, right? Mm -hmm. And and the more you think about this sending, the more you think, well, what? So Jesus says, the father who sent me is with me. And then you realize, oh, so this is an unusual kind of sending. Um, Like if I send my son to the store to pick something up, I do not go with him. If if I went with him, I wouldn't call it sending, right? I would say, let's take a trip to the store and get some orange juice. the kind of sending that the Father does to the Son is a kind of sending wherein the Son does not get further away from the Father as He comes to be among us, right? The, the Father who sent Him is with Him. Um, uh, it, it's a mode of divine presence that we're coming face-to-face with when we meet Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. um, where he, he is God with us as the sent one. Now, if you think God is uh, just unipersonal, right? If you're unitarian about this and you think um, and you make the mistake of thinking that God is simply a unitarian unipersonal being um, and that there's not a fellowship of father, son, and spirit eternally in the divine life, then you have to think about that sending as just something God does and not reflective of something God is.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, so you're kind of, you're, you're locked into a shallower understanding of what the gospel is. Like there's the great God and God is wonderful and powerful and then he does a thing where he sends something to us. Whereas the Trinitarian commitment lets you say, oh, in Galatians 4.4, 4, when in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. He sent him forth because he had a son who he could in the fullness of time send forth. Right. Or, right. or John 3.16. Right. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's not God so loved the world that he then decided to have a son so he could give his son. No, this goes back deeper, right? When God gives his son, it's because it turns out he's the kind of God who has a son who he can give.
0: Yeah. Mm-mm. Yeah, I was uh, uh, that, that surprised me as you begin to speak about that in your book. It was something that I thought I should have known that, but I didn't. Um, I should have known that God has always existed as a father. For some reason in my mind, I just kind of figured, okay, he became a father after he sent the son or mm-hmm. after he created Adam. Uh, now he had a son. Uh, but you speak in your book about God being a father uh, from, from eternity on. That's, that's part of his very, very essence. And, and there's some profound ramifications of that, that he's not needing us as sons to fulfill his fatherly desire. Like, you know, there's, there's some couples that can't have children and, you know, and they, maybe they adopt. And when they do, they have, oh, this, this child in our life now fulfills that hole in my heart. But, but your book you speak about it. God doesn't really have that hole in his heart. He doesn't need us but yet he's always been a father that that caught me off guard in a really good way. Yeah. And it made yeah. me reverence and be more in awe of God. Like, Oh, this, this is not something you're doing, trying to be a good father to me because I need a fatherly entity in my life. That's just you. That's who you are. You are father. Um, yeah. What, what, I what, think that's a my,
1: beautiful moment when the doctrine of the Trinity invites you into a deeper understanding of things you already sort of knew. This is not, you know, this is not brand new teaching for most people. I wrote this book to meet people where they are and lead them into a deeper understanding of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, 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 that was good. That, uh, God being a father, the, um, the other thing I wanted to have you elaborate a little bit more on was the, um, and I don't know how to quite describe it, but, but you spoke of, um, sort of as a Christian, you start off, um, here, here's how I, I perceived in my mind. Like uh, I, I start off by asking God to meet my needs. Uh, Like the song, I don't know if you heard the song, you know, you're the way maker, miracle worker, Uh, you know, so that's, that's what I want God to be first. Uh, Help me with my prodigal child. Um, Give me, uh, help me with my career. Uh, And and you're saying that there's part, you know, the gospel is kind of part of that, but it draws you, like, what kind of God is this, that he would be a way maker or a miracle worker? And and you sort of, can you kind of walk us through that? You even had some charts you know, yeah, you know, we can't really use the charts here. On I, maybe we could pull them up, Chris, uh, our producer. Maybe could show them as you're talking about them a little bit. But uh, yeah, there, there's some methodology that God has in a. Per, there's like a purpose He has, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And there's there's kind of a there's a flip that happens as you as you grow in your understanding. Um, you know, all this again is premised on the idea that you can you can begin the Christian life with very little knowledge and information, right? Because it's just it's it's the introduction. You're, you're meeting. Um, your conversion doesn't depend on having a deep and well-connected understanding of what you're getting into, right? There's a personal connection with, a, with the divine reality. Um, and then as you take up the Bible and begin to to read it carefully and, and run everything through the filter of God's word, you know, these concepts are enriched and you have a deeper understanding. But that doesn't make what you knew originally wrong, even if you got saved for some kind of reason that you now look back on and think, well, that was kind of silly or self-centered. You know, I was. turns out I was I was going to the mall and shopping for things to enrich my life and I bought God and installed that in my life. You know, maybe I had a really unworthy sort of consumeristic just meet my needs where I am. Uh, or maybe I was just in a desperate situation and I, I cried out for whatever higher power could save me and, and God saved me. But, but now I come to understand more about him. So there's kind of a flip. Um, you start with, um, uh, what must I do to be saved? And then, you get saved and you begin asking the question, well, who, who must this be then who saved me? Right. And so you kind of start with atonement basically um, getting, getting your sins forgiven. And then you have to ask, who must Jesus be if he is capable of bringing about forgiveness of sins in my life? Well, he must be God. Cause um, I mean, what's the insight here? Um, forgiveness of sins is a personal or even an interpersonal thing, right? Um, if by salvation, I mean, I have personally offended God and he personally forgives me, then, okay, God, God can't and won't bring about salvation by just like sending an angel because I don't have an issue with an angel. I have an issue with God. And so Jesus who brings about this salvation must somehow be God in person, solving this interpersonal problem I have with God. But then if that's true and God doesn't change, God didn't like turn into Jesus or Jesus didn't turn into God or something like that, then God must always have included within himself the Father and the Son in the Spirit. Um, Mm. So when I talk about a flip, um, you start where you are, you get to an understanding of God, but then you realize, oh, but that map of how I got to my understanding of who God eternally is still has me right at the center of it. And, And in fact, objectively speaking, I'm not right at the center of the universe. So if you kind of erase the whiteboard and redraw it more to scale, it's like, okay, you start with God who's, you know, unimaginably large, Um, and um, then you relate that to the incarnation, like the eternal God in the person of the Son added human nature to himself um, and worked out our salvation in that human nature. Then you add atonement, death on the cross, resurrection, and the power of the spirit, Um, and then way down at the bottom, I think on some diagrams I draw, um, you know, there's giant trinity, pretty big incarnation, um, atonement as the work of the incarnate one, and then there's me hearing the gospel, you know, in Kentucky in the 80s and responding by faith. There's my testimony, my engagement with it, um, way down here at the, at the very bottom of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, both charts are true in their own ways. One is more of a map of how I got into this and how the um, how sort of concentric circles spread out to their ultimate implications. Right. But the other one's more an objective map of to scale, right, how, how things actually fit in reality.
0: Yeah, that's, that's important to keep that sense of proportion in mind, because uh, I think we get that out of uh, alignment sometimes, uh, particularly movements today in the church, you know, the, the hyper faith and prosperity thing seems to me just to, to land in the first segment, like what, what, what's in it for me, um, maybe even going back, even before redemption and justification into felt needs. Here, here, yeah. you know, I'll, start, I'll come to a church or hear a sermon if it has something to do with my felt needs uh and and, but you know again one of the things that i think was uh stirring in your book was i guess for me i tend to have have a tendency to sort of like um see god a little bit as like oh that that's such a small mindedness to come to god for felt needs Mm. Uh, you again you surprised me in your book by saying you know that's kind of like a lot of what the bible's about you know there's you know it's and so it's sort of you know it, it didn't sort of make me want to go to a uh, prosperity church by any means but at the same time it, it, it kind of gave me a little bit more sense of, of grace it's like it's okay that's a starting place God God, God uh, puts us there to start he heals the sick you know he yeah. he called the he casts out demons he does those things as a start then you know I was reading today from uh, it was Matthew 8 where the disciples say you know hey we're sinking and the boat's about to capsize uh, save us and, and then they say you know what kind of man is this it, it's, it's mm. the it's the it's the it's Jesus meeting us where we are, and and it's it was okay it's kind of it's okay to be that way, but not. Uh, I like what you're saying in your book. D- you know, don't get stuck there in a sense. I think you're saying. Yeah. That.
1: yeah, 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 and it really is that. It's that fit between salvation and God, or I could say that the character of the salvation we're talking about and the character of the God we're talking about, right? Yeah. It, one way to put it is if we had a different kind of salvation, in the gospel then a different kind of God could be the God behind it, right? Like if, if our only problem was that demons were oppressing us, if that was the only human problem, then just a God who was strong or who had an army of angels could solve our problem, and that would be all we would need to know about him, Yeah. right? But, but um, for whatever reasons you get into Christianity, um, once you encounter the gospel and begin to have your mind transformed so you can understand what's really going on in the gospel of salvation. That's when the deep connection to the character of the God who stands behind this gospel really shows up.
0: And and eventually doesn't it get to the place where there's only one of those that really satisfy the, the, uh, the need meeting, the, the, you know, save me from the sinking ship is, is good. And you're always thankful for that. And we will be for the rest of our life. And I'll still call on God to give me that. But, but that the, the idea of the Trinity and the deeper things of God really is, is the call, the wooing of the Holy Spirit to say, uh, you know, I have so much more for you. And, uh, you know, uh, and that, that's what I think that's what stirs worship in our hearts. That's what mm-hmm. gives us that exaltation of Christ is that uh, not only that what he did for me, what's in it for me, but just who he is. Uh, yeah. and that's, that is a real shift, I think, isn't it? Uh, when a Christian shifts from what's in it for me to who is this man or who is this God? Yeah,
1: yeah. And, you know, especially if, if you think about my strategy here is an associate an associative strategy, I want people, when they think about the Trinity, not to think, is that like an iceberg or is that like a shamrock or is that like a math puzzle we're going to solve here? I want them to learn to associate the Trinity, like every time they hear the word, um, to associate it with the gospel and to think about the nature of salvation and the nature of God and how those have a very close fit. But if you think about that project, it could provide the optical illusion that God exists just for us or his full time job is to be the God of the gospel and he has nothing else going on. And what you realize is this is my main message is, yeah, the fit between the gospel and and the Trinity. But I I think I've had two chapters. One's called The Happy Land of the Trinity, um, which is about like once you come to know this God and recognize that he is eternally Father, Son and Spirit, you recognize, oh, there's a whole There's this divine independence, or the theological word is aseity, where God is in himself and for himself eternally blessed, um, was not sitting around in heaven going, oh, if only I had an adventure, you know, where I could have creatures and then I could be a God of salvation and then I'd be better. Like someday when I grow up, I want to be a better God. Like none of that is going on. God is fully realized, fully satisfied in the eternal, almighty blessedness of the divine life. And then it's from sheer grace and sheer overflow that that God becomes our salvation. Wow. So it's, it's really important to me to have that kind of worship moment of sheer, oh, this is who God is. Whether I got saved or not, whether I'm here or not, whether there was even any creation or not, this is something that goes all the way into the foundation of the character of God and the nature
0: of God. Mm. Man, that, I love that, Fred. That just... I, I wish we'd hear that more. You know, I'm not trying to denounce churches here today, but I wish we'd hear that more in church. You know, uh, I, personally, I'm just a little underwhelmed uh, uh, week after week, sort of hearing about how I can have a better life. And, um, you know, this this can help my marriage, which I, I appreciate those things. But, man, I, yeah. I just have a longing in my heart to, to, to hear a man or woman, God, get up in that pulpit and say, you know it's the thing you're saying. They say of God, He exists for Himself. He is, He He doesn't need us, but yet He loves us. Uh, and that, with you know, to me, when you marry that with the immutability of God. This 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 is how He is, and He's never going to change. He's always going to hmm. be Father. He's always going to be Son. He's always going to be that giving Holy Spirit. There's that generosity in that. I just wish we talk about that more. You
1: know? Yeah, yeah. We definitely need a recovery of that strong doctrine of of God proper, right? You know, the God. Um, has these attributes like aseity, immutability, um, blessedness is, is one that I've been focusing on a lot lately in my thinking and, and teaching. I will say to cut people a little bit of slack, like, yes, we do need to recover this and make it more an issue that we talk about and teach about and rejoice in. But also it's hard to talk about, right? Like the Bible is mostly about God's condescension to us and engagement with us and entering into a covenant with us. Um, and it's just a hard truth to take a step back and say, "Remember, this is like capital G God we're talking about. Um, and I think for most Christians, even when they hear some teaching about um, the, the the infinite depth of the of the being of God, of the life of God, um, it's something that maybe you encounter more in wordless worship. you know you, you have a moment in worship where you you have this recognition like, oh, this is the words I'm saying are true." um and also god is beyond that deeper than that greater than that you have a moment where you glimpse it and then you find yourself trying to talk about it or if you're a preacher or teacher trying to communicate it in a clear coherent articulate message to listeners um it's, it's hard
0: it is hard yeah, yeah. yeah I, I agree with you and, but, but i think when you and i love the fact that you're saying cut cut some grace to some people because uh you know uh <laughs> You know, for like you and I, you know, I noticed like behind you, you have some uh, at least a book or two behind you. I've got the same thing behind me here. I doubt there's too many people in our congregations, you know, Joe the plumber uh, that, you know, is reading about a aseity right now today you know, or tonight. Can't wait to get off work to, you know, but somehow we've got to make those things that that this is who God is. And he wants to be, he, he's a self revelatory God. So somehow we have to do that. And in your book, I think did a great job of, of uh, opening up some things about God. Um, can we can we have one more episode? Do you mind if we uh, we we'll take a break here and we'll bring you back one more time? If we could, uh, yeah. Uh, appreciate this. Uh, let's talk next time we uh, uh, get together uh, about God and the Gospel, and then some closing, some real practical things. Just some questions I think a lot of people have, myself included, uh, about how this whole Trinity thing works because it, it it's 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 spectacular, but it also can be uh, mm-hmm. confusing at times. So yeah, Fred, thank you so much for being with us here today. I really appreciate this really part, and I know that people are listening today. We're going to really be blessed. I want to encourage you to go out and get that book ordered online today, uh, The Deep Things of God uh, by Fred Sanders. Thanks, Fred. Thanks a lot, The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.